Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELAC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we're going to start, start with debt this week. You know what? Anytime you ever ask me if how I'm doing, I am doing much better than the Barcelona soccer team. Because somebody's got to explain to me. I go through this every week now. We talked to JP about it last week. Explain to me how a team is $1.6 billion in debt and they continue to operate. Well, what we did this week is we went to find a guest who could help us with that. Now, we also found a guest who could talk to us about Roy Halladay and baseball and everything else. But when we're going to get started with the conversation with former Philly Greg Dobbs, World Series champion, now financial guru, to talk to us a little bit about cryptocurrency and debt, according to Barcelona. All right. We're being joined today by Greg Dobbs, former Philly and World Series champion and financial advisor. So, Greg, how you doing? I'm good, Jeff. How are you guys? Well, we're good. But the reason that I mentioned financial advisor is we originally scheduled this because we wanted to talk to you about Roy Halladay and baseball and stuff like that. But we have a couple uh, questions for you financial wise. So if, you, if you're good. if you're willing, we got some questions. Fire away, please do. All right. First of all, are you looking to take any clients that have $1.6 billion in debt like Barcelona? Boy, that'd be a tough, that's going to be a tough sell. Although with rates where they are, we could repurpose that debt. So I wouldn't say it's a hard pass. I'd just say that'd be a long road to hoe right there. See, that was, that was impressive. You actually came up with a solution. We have been for weeks trying to figure out how a sports team can get over a billion dollars in debt still operate. <laughs> hey, well, you, you look at some of the biggest corporations, not only in the United States, but it, worldwide, and you look at their balance sheets. I, I mean, debt is usually a, a pretty strong component. And, and you love when you hear quarterly earnings, when you hear about companies like GE or Northrop Grumman, um, or, you know, Boeing say that, oh, we've paid down a bunch of debt. Like everybody just cheers that, right? Um, and, and I think there is a little bit, again, uh, too much debt, the wrong kind of debt, obviously bad, right? Um, just like if you've got tons of credit card debt. It, it's, 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 not, it's not the end of the world, but it's not the best. Um, yeah, but if you're able to, there's, there's good debt and there's bad debt. And, you know, listen, if, if you can sort of repurpose it, um, you know, you, could, you can make some interesting things happen. So Messi would have been good debt. <laughs> Potentially, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Messi definitely would have been good debt for that team with everything else that he brings along. All right. So, so the second one, ha hang with us here, because this will actually go yep. to sports eventually. Can you explain okay. cryptocurrency to us? I, 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 I cannot, and, and nor will <laughs> I attempt to. Um, I, I think, listen, it is as speculative speculative as a play that is out there um you know are there some pretty unique um and forward-thinking uses for it yes but again you know what is it truly backed by is it backed by blockchain is it not backed by blockchain um i you know the jury's still out on this and um you know we here um and a lot of the big banks you know we we can't for regulatory reasons, we can't directly play it. We'll 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 use um, certain companies like PayPal um, to to expose clients to to crypto in sort of a secondary and a tertiary manner. Um, but yeah, uh, jury's still out. 
And so, every time clients come to us and so they, they ask, we go, yeah, you know, if, if you're, listen, if, if you're okay with the massive amounts of volatility and you're not going to rip your hair out and want to jump out of the, you know, your 50th story building uh, when it plunges, you know, five, 10, 15%, then fine. But you know what, when you have that discussion, most, most rational, normal people aren't. And so there, there's your answer right there. So I'm curious, the sports side of it is we are starting to see athletes take their payment in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. You think that's a trend that that's going to grow or is that going to burst and people are going to go back to their traditional resources of what they get because of that volatility? Great question. I think it will be a trend until it's no longer a trend, just like everything else. Right. And usually trends stop when either one things fall out of favor or two, it ends catastrophically. So that's, that's my take. It, it is the hot new thing. Now um, you have, you know, younger athletes who are, because of social media and because of the vast amount of information that's available out there now on the internet um, and through social media platforms, um, just look at Robinhood, for instance, right? How it's, you know, I wouldn't say completely literally transformed uh, trading, but, but for young, for younger individuals who, you know, were maybe a little shy to engage in one of the quote unquote bigger banks, it's given them this ability to, play you know the, the game per se right with everybody else so um i think it, listen it's it's one of those things where it will last as long as it can last i just to forecast it and 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 what that trend's going to look like moving forward very very difficult but hey listen you know it, it, from an educational standpoint i think it's it's pretty incredible because look at all the athletes that are engaged now in financial markets because of a Bitcoin, right? That ed education hopefully only helps. Yeah. So you went through this when, when you were a high school player, you made a decision not to the team that drafted you for you not to go there and to instead go to college. How would it have impacted your decision back then if you were able to do this name image and likeness stuff? That's a great question. Um, I, I think the easy answer is, well, my name, image, and likeness wasn't worth much. So I think my, my decision was, was pretty easy to make back then. Hold on. There's a lot of women down at the Citizens Bank Park that would beg to differ. <laughs> well, I, I, I love them all. Um, but, um, and I appreciate that. But, oh, my God. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think... You know, in today's day and age, with you talk about crypto, you talk about NFTs, um, you know, Gronk has been a, a big vocal proponent and an advocate for NFTs, as, as are other athletes now as well. It, you know, listen, it's, it's a way for any athlete, if they have the name, image, and likeness that, will, that can generate interest and generate a market, um, a potential for you know, ancillary income. Um, I, you know, listen, it's something that you, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to ignore, but <laughs> just little old Greg Dobbs here. <laughs> I, I doubt, I doubt NFTs and makers of NFTs or the market of NFTs for Greg Dobbs back in high school would have been, uh, would have been burgeoning. Let's just say that. I think you underestimate yourself, but I will say we'll, we'll leave the finances there. I got my lesson for the day. I'll have to give a payment later for that, that work. We'll get to the baseball a little bit. I, I was thrilled to be in the stadium on Sunday 
to watch Roy Halladay have his number 34 retired. You have the opportunity to call him your teammate. What, what does it mean to you to get to see him get that recognition he deserves? Um, I'm, well, I'm, I'm literally getting goosebumps as you described it. Um, and, 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 a, and a little tearful because if anyone deserves it, 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 it's Roy. And not to say that others don't. I'm just saying if we're just talking about, you know, the late, great Roy Halladay, um, there's, there's very few players that I have had the honor of playing with and against. And I think a lot of his teammates and former competitors would probably reiterate this, is to be around someone like Roy, who was just such a true and consummate professional, um, it was an absolute honor and a, a blessing as well. You know, I, and, and for me, I got to say that I competed against him and I reveled in that because he's the best. And, and if you can't get up to compete against the very best, then you know what, there's something wrong with you and, and you wouldn't become an elite athlete anyways. But, but to watch him as a teammate, to play behind him, to learn from him, I mean, his, his daily routine was, was absolutely, it was mind boggling. It was incredible. Um, and just and, and the manner in which he carried himself and went about, he was a gentle giant. He was very soft-spoken. He chose his words wisely. Um, I, you know, I still remember on planes. You know, we'd be traveling whether it was we're going to uh, to Pittsburgh or if we're you know coming out west to play to make our West Coast swing. He'd be in the back of the plane, quiet, reading a book or reading on his iPad. You know, he was so as much as he pushed himself physically, he was also pushing himself mentally to be the very best version of himself. And if, if that isn't something that all of us can aspire to, I don't, I don't know what else there is in life that you would want to, to do or, or how to conduct yourself on a, on a daily basis. I learned those things watching Roy and uh, to see him get the credit that he so very well deserves in Philadelphia in that ballpark. I just wish he, he could have been present to, to see it and, and enjoy it for himself. But uh, he was an incredible human being, very special person. You know, we've heard so much from some of your other teammates and from the stories that have been written in the, in the uh, TV shows that have been talked, that have talked about him, about his game day intensity. What was he like? What do you remember most about him when he wasn't game day, Roy? Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, it, it, you know, it was, it was incredible. Um, it, but it was, it was why he was Roy Halladay. And it was why, you know, I, I think guys like Cole Hamels and Kyle Kendrick, you know, got better because they saw how he was able to ramp up his intensity on game day, but then be able to back it down and pump the brakes and be normal Roy those those other four days on those other four days i mean he was not that he was unhappy on game day not or surly on game day no he just had his game face on he had his headphones in and he had his routine and you were not going to deviate him from that and you left him alone because he's getting ready to to go out there and and do his very best to to put us in the position to win on days off though he was it wasn't that he was different it was just that you knew it wasn't game day for him. He knew it wasn't game day. He still had that incredible routine because he was still preparing then to either one recover or get ready for his next outing. But he was, he was just more approachable. He didn't have the headphones in. He, he didn't have that, 
that stare and that look in his eyes that he was going from point A to point B to point C to point D. Like you, you, you did not want to get in the way of the freight train that was Roy Halladay when he was preparing for a start on, on game night. But on the other days, he'd be sitting back in his chair. Yes, he'd be having to do all of his work um, because he was a tireless, you know, a tireless worker. But he was, uh, he was approachable. He'd be laughing, joking with other guys. He was just, he was just more relaxed. Um, and, and it was, it was just, it was incredible to watch how he was able to flip that switch. And I, and I'll, I'll swear to the day I die that that is one of the things that made him who he was obviously an incredible talent, but his ability to, and everybody talks about, well, you can't flip the switch. Well, you know what, start in any sport, I think maybe starting pitchers can, because they have four days in between. And then on that fifth day, they can definitely flip the switch because I watched Roy Halliday do it. You know, you talk about the intensity. We'll get as a competitor in a second when you went against him. But we had Shane Victorino on to talk about Roy, and he talked about that game day intensity. Uh, you had a manager once that told one of your teammates that he was a little scared to go take Roy out of a game. What was it like on game day <laughs> with him as a competitor, as your teammate? Oh, man. Well, as, as a teammate, it was something you fed off of. I mean, all of us, I think, fed off that you know, his intensity, you know, it was like, you know, it's, 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 it's wind day, you know, um, they talk about like Steve Carlton, right? Well, when Steve Carlton was pitching, you know, Hey, that's wind day boys. We're going to win this one. <laughs> Take it to the bank. Right. It, and, and it was no different with Roy, just, it was no different with, with Cole, uh, you know, Cliff Lee, when he was having those great years, when he had those, those great starts and the great year, year and a half there, um, it, Roy was no different. Um, but maybe even more so it was like, boys were, it's a W today, take it to the bank. And, and I think all of us fed off that. Um, and I think that's just natural. I think any team does, um, as a competitor, it made you ratchet up your preparation. I mean, I, I, I know just speaking for myself and not anyone else. Um, you know, I had to work and, 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 and claw my way, to the big leagues and then work even harder just to stay in the big leagues and, and competing against the likes of a Roy Halladay, you know, you, you started thinking about it that the night before easily, if not before then, and watching video on someone like Roy, you know, the night before, usually you do it the day of. Um, and, you know, it's, like I said before, I don't know what could be a greater motivator than knowing that you are going in the next night or on a day game to compete against one of the best that's that's ever stepped on the mound in the history of Major League Baseball. Um, you know, some some rise to the occasion, some fall, and some fall, and and then some you know fall in between somewhere. Uh, I, I just felt that if I, I felt I honestly I felt that if to show respect to him. And to respect his talent and having watched how he prepared, if I didn't do the same or if not more inside my mind, it was a disrespect to him. And I wanted to be the ultimate competitor. I wanted him to respect me as well as a competitor. Win, lose, or draw, whether I went 4 for 4 or 0 for 4, I felt also it was my duty to prepare unlike I had prepared for any other competitor that I had ever faced. Um, That's that's what that's how I went about it. So does August 15th, 2012 ring a bell to you? Might need you to remind me just a uh, little. Well, the Marlins hadn't scored a run in 30 innings 
you drove in a run in your first at bat, I believe, and then you hit a home run against Roy Halladay in your second or third at bat. Now does it ring a bell? <laughs> it's, it was this. This was in Miami, correct? Yes. Yes, it was. A day day game. Day game. Yes. That, <laughs> I believe it was I a day. Believe, game. I believe it was a day game too. I it now rings a bell. Yes, it does. So, so what, what was it like to, to hit a home run off of your former teammate and, and such a great pitcher? Um, conflicting. And did you look at him when you did it? <laughs> I, I dare not look at him because the, the, the stare, I could feel his stare and I could feel his anger um, and his frustration. Um, so, no, you dare not make eye contact with him. Um, uh, it, was, it was mixed, I'll be honest. Um, for, for, for multiple reasons. One, because I had worn the Philly uniform um, and played, you know, in front of our, our great city and fans, right? Um, so, you know, leaving Philly, all, it, it, which, you know, listen, things happen for a reason. I, I had had a terrible season. I, I don't, it was, it, it was the right move. It had to happen. Um, and, and that is, that's professional sport, right? That's life. So you know, playing against the team, uh, that took a chance on me that I had such great memories with, not just me, but my entire family. Uh, you know, tough, but you have to put that aside and be a competitor. Um, it, but also gratifying in, in the same regard, because here I am competing against the very best in the game. And at the end of the day, you know, competitive blood, it, it runs deeper in others than, than some. And uh, for me, my competitiveness um, runs pretty deep, uh, but that's that's tinged with a great amount of respect as well. Um, it was it was it was conflicting. I mean, it, listen, it felt good to be able to put my team ahead and to end that. What I'm now learning was that 30 inning uh, scoreless uh, streak. Um, that that felt good because you know I'm playing for the Marlins and I'm I'm doing everything I can to help my team win. You know, but when you're playing against your former team that you had such great memories with, um, and and those former teammates, uh, and then Roy, you know, it's 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 conflicting. But that that is the nature of of professional sport, right? You have to be able to put the emotional component aside, and be an adult, be a competitor, um, and and do your very best. I do remember this though. So Eduardo Perez is our hitting coach, and. After I hit the home run, Roy was visibly upset and angry because he was like, God, this freaking guy, this little old guy, Dobbs, just two for two for me off of me, and I just hit a homer. And before my third at bat, I don't think I've ever told anybody this story. Before my third at bat, I'm in the hole, and Eduardo's right there on the bench, and Eduardo kind of looks over at me, and he says, uh, hey, Dobber, so what's he going to try to get you out with next? And I looked at him. And I literally said, change up. And the next, and that, then that, that at bat, I was looking for a change up because I was going through the pitch sequences. And I was like, the one thing he has not done is tried to attack me with a change up. He tried to attack me with a change up. I got my third hit off of him in that game. And, and I look into the dugout and Eduardo is just grinning ear to ear. And I'm trying not to grin because I'm not one to rub anything in. I'm got, I've got to be professional. Um, but that's, that's the beauty of, of baseball. That's why I think it is the greatest game ever invented because, you know, the chess games that happen within the game that, that our fans uh, 
aren't aware of. It's stuff like that that just it's it's incredible. It's why it's such a great game. Well, you know, we've talked to you about 2008 and what a special season that was. What is it like as as a fan? You start to get this feeling when there's a no hitter coming. You were around for two of the greatest pitching performances, at least in Philly's history, including the the no hitter in the playoffs. Did you have a sense at that? I mean, Roy's pitching great almost every game, but did you have a sense in those two games that something really special was going to happen? And what do you do when you see that's about to happen? You did. Um, I, I, you, you can't, I, I wouldn't say after the first or the second inning, maybe by the end of the second inning, getting into the third inning, you, you, can, you can definitely sense it. Whether or not it's actually going to occur is a whole different story, right? Because so many things can happen in a baseball game um, that, that can, you know, that, that can derail no hitter or perfect game. Um, so you, it was, it was definitely palpable, but what you do in that moment is you just focus on yourself. You know, you, okay, what do I have to do? What are my roles and responsibilities? Right. Um, and, and try not to think about it too much. It just, it boils down to what I've learned is there's two types of players, right? Ones that get all caught up in it and then they start forgetting about the job that they have to do and their responsibilities. Um, or there's others who are cognizant of it, but aren't completely focused on it and aren't, and aren't, it, it's not a lot, it's not deterring their focus from what they need to do, what their roles and responsibilities are either in that moment or looking forward in, in, in the game. Um, and so what was so great about our team and why I think why we had so much success in that era from 2007 to 2010 and then into 11, which is the last year that obviously the Phillies were played in the postseason, but, um, we were really good at that. We were really good at all of us focusing on what we needed to focus on individually, right? Which by doing so enabled us to be clear-minded, um, focused on the task at hand in the present and, and, and allowed us to execute on the defensive side of, of the ball and on the offensive side of the ball. And when you've got someone like Roy Halladay, who you know is just completely and totally laser focused on the job that he needs to do, not anything else, right? I get back to you, you should, one should always be focused on the things that they can control, not the things that they cannot. So here we are. I have no, we have no control over Roy, right? Roy is in control of himself. So let him go. Let's focus on ourselves. Let's do everything we can individually and then collectively to execute so that maybe at the end of the, at the end of the day, there is that no hitter or there is that perfect game. And then around the fifth or sixth inning, everybody gets a little quiet. They just always do. Everybody kind of puckers up and, and everybody gets quiet. And then you see, you know, you see Roy sitting off by himself. You know, maybe Chooch comes over and is sitting there talking to him. But other than that, it's, it's, I don't, it's one of those unwritten rules in baseball, you know, it's, you know, the sanctity of the pitcher in the no hitter, perfect game scenario. Um, you, you saw a little bit of that. It's just incredible though, to be, to be a part of something like that. It's, it's truly incredible. All right. So I'm going to play it forward before we let you go to the rules of the game today. Uh, lots of talk of the state of the game from fundamentals attempts to speed up the game. One of Jeff's least favorite things, the shift runners on second and extras, seven inning, double headers. What are your thoughts? I'm right there with you. Right there with you. 
Uh, Thank the, you. Er, Jeff literally loses his mind regularly over the shift. Um, he, he cannot Visceral. stand it. Visceral reaction. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on what baseball is trying to do? Um, and how much longer would you have tried to play if you knew you could play seven inning doubleheaders rather than nine inning ones? Oh, my God. Maybe I'd still be playing. Good Lord. <laughs> um, listen, the, the, again, two sides to every coin, right? Um, I understand in one breath, I understand what major league baseball is trying to do. I, I, okay. We, I think we all do whether now, whether we feel that is the right thing or it's misguided. Okay. Different conversation, but I think we can all agree that we understand what they're trying to do and that's fine. I like Jeff and many others, um, that I've spoken with, um, and unlike many others, cause I people fall on different sides of, of this discussion. Me personally, can't stand the shift. Can't. Now, uh, in the same breath, though, I understand why they do it. Because, and we started to institute this under Jimmy Williams um, and, um, and Smitty, Steve Smith, our third base coach. Not crazy shifts like you're seeing today where you're pulling the third base and putting them in right field. Like, no, like where you're leaving basically the whole left of the infield completely void of anyone. Like, no, we, we started doing them in a, in a, in a slighter fashion. Um, but nonetheless, you know, in this data-driven age, it, I, I can imagine if I'm part of an analytics team or I'm a manager, you know, it, it, you're being presented with so much data. And the way many teams are run nowadays is the data runs the decisions now, right? So, and, and the shift, I feel, is a byproduct of this massive aggregation of data which has been happening, you know, for 15, 20 years. Um, I, but in the same breath, I, my, 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 one of my biggest problems with it is the fact that, listen, these are major league hitters, and, uh, which I was one, and I'm not saying it's easy. No, I'm not saying that. But how do you break the shift? If you're con con consistently getting shifted on, how do you break that shift? You know what? Counter it. Do, do, something, do something different. Do, do, do something, if that means going the other way, getting jammed, laying down a, a, a bunt to, to shortstop that gets past the pitcher. You do that more often, and you prove, and you, you make an adjustment as a hitter. All of a sudden, guess what? The, the numbers, the, the, the analytics are going to start to change. The trend is going to change when they look at you as a, as a hitter and your tendencies. And that shift will start to dissipate and it'll start to move back to just being normal. Um, so I, I, I almost feel it's, you know, there's, there's two, there's two issues here. It's one, it's the data that's being aggregated, which is fine, which is, which is fine. Um, I'm not against the data, but what I am, I guess, maybe saying is that, well, you know, big league hitters, you know, we, I prided myself on being able to make adjustments, right. And every big league hitter does. And I'm not saying it's easy. Again, I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. It's it's difficult. It's the most difficult thing to do in all sports. Um, but if you're able to get sawed off and have your bat splinter into a thousand pieces, and you do that two or three times in a game, because you are consciously going to not suscept yourself to that shift or hit into that shift, I, you'll see a change. You, you, you will see a change. That team will, the next day, will go, okay, well, they'll go over their defensive meeting like every team does before a game and go, okay, uh, so Dobbs, um, well, we tried the shift. How did that work out last night, guys? 
No, not too well, right? I mean, yeah, he bled two, you know, ground balls through shortstop, um, but we didn't have the shortstop there, and those would have been out. All of a sudden now you, you know, and that, again, is the beautiful cat and mouse chess game that is baseball. But I think we're seeing a, I think we're seeing a ton of shifts, partly to blame because I think hitters are, are not adjusting and making the, the proper adjustments to counter that shift. Um, anyways, that's, listen, from 30,000 feet, that's my, that's my two cents. But I, I, I would like to see the shift not be so, so egregious. I really would. Yeah. Jeff's just going to cut the part where you say you agree with him anyway. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty. That's the beauty of this being tape. <laughs> so, so you went from one data-driven field to another data-driven field. Hopefully, we can have you back to do the what if you were commissioner for a day. Um, oh, Greg, boy. thank you so much for your time. You've been really generous with your time, and, and we really appreciate all the stories and the information. I, no, I, I appreciate you guys. Um, we, you know, my family and I, we miss Philly tremendously and terribly. Um, we're, we're always watching. Our hearts are there with the team and, and all of you. Um, Jeff, everybody there at the station, thank you very much for having me on. I look forward to speaking with you guys again. Thanks so much for the time, Greg. You have a great one. You too. See you guys. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. What a fun time getting to talk to Greg Dobbs, hear all of his stories, learn a little financial advice, hear about what it was like to play with and against Roy Halladay. Such a special time to get to talk to him. Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit of basketball with one of our favorites. Let's bring on Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Go to our conversation with him talking about all things the Summer Sixers. Here we go. Hey, so we got on the line Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer and master of the um, Sixers and NBA. How you doing, Keith? I'm doing well. Better than the Michigan Wolverines. Oh, wow. Record he, you, time. You, you decided to start with that. That You know what? That's rough. All right. Just, just for that. So how much money did you lose in Vegas? Actually, I don't gamble, dude. I don't gamble. What happens at in all. Vegas stays in Vegas, Jeff. No, I I know what Keith did. He put down a bunch of money on Pitt winning the national championship in basketball and football. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't drunk enough to do that. <laughs> it wasn't that drunk. Yeah, that's a so Keith, play. you 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 had a chance to go out to Vegas um, and spend some time watching the young seventy sixers or the summer sixers, as they like to call them. Um, before we get to the, the rookies, um, can you tell us what you saw in Tyrese Maxey? And should we all be as excited about him as as um, people seem to be? You know, you know, I, I, I say yes, um, but but I, I want to put a little pause on it because you know the thing about Tyrese Maxey. I mean, that was a great game, but he did certain things that we knew that he could do. The things that I wanted to see more is I want to see his assist a little bit higher. And again, you know, Tommy, excuse me, Tyrese Maxey was phenomenal, 31 points to one game. 
He had 21 points the other game, and I think like 14 of them came in the first quarter, the first game he played. But I just want to see more assists because, you know, going out there, they were saying that he was going to come and they wanted, like, he was going to show that he can be a point guard, a guy who can lead the team, a guy who can pass to his teammates. He was phenomenal, but he was more of a scoring point guard. And when he's going to get minutes this year and you're going to have Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris on the floor, it's going to be one of those things where they're going to be like, look, Rook, or look, second-year guy, I'm wide open. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. So, yes, it's great to see him create for his own shot, but it's also one of those things you would love to see him, you know, uh, distribute a little bit more, you know, so he can fit in nicely with Joel and, and Tobias. The Sixers' Twitter account clearly loves Paul Reed. So does the Blue Coats account. What did you see from him out there? He looked kind of dominant at times on the court. He did, and it's funny because after uh, not this past game, but this third game that they played, you know, I asked him a question about you know the positions and, and and playing closer to the basket, and he really didn't get it, and maybe I didn't deliver it the right way. But afterwards, I pulled him to the side and I said, you know. It just seems like you look more comfortable when you're closer to the basket than when you're out there in space. I said, you know, when you're closer to the basket, you just react. You're out there in space, you're dribbling a little bit too much. You're trying to think about what to do. And I felt like it was a good move in the last game where they put them at the last game they, they lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves in overtime. They had them play the five. He was closer to the basket. He was able to go outside. You know, he started in and out. He was able to go outside and make a couple things happen. Uh, he had 29, he had 20, 27 points, and he had uh, 20 rebounds. And he also went two for three from three. So that was extremely impressive to me. That was the first time I saw him just go out there and play instead of thinking. So, yes, that was an, uh, an impressive performance for him. Did you two go out for Denny's afterwards? Nah, I'm surprised he said that. You know, the funny thing is, you know, the funny thing is that like all we hear is, oh yes, we have them eating, you know, the the best food and and healthy this and healthy that. And I'm like, Denny's dude, that's not even IHOP. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like nothing against it, but it's like, yo, you're on the beat. I mean, you're in Vegas and you're talking about me eating Denny's food. You know, I was cracking up. Jeff was texting me. We're watching the game this is what big losers we are we're watching summer league texting about it and summer league overtime and we're texting about it but he said that paul missed a opportunity for endorsement he should have said that he had a rudy tootie fresh and fruity breakfast and then he could have gotten an endorsement deal out of it with denny's from that interview yeah i, I guess he just didn't wanna, he didn't want to like single out certain sandwiches he wanted to say denny's i'll even like the dinner food <laughs> but yeah that was hilarious See, if he was still in college, he would have been all over that because that, that would have been NIL money up the wazoo for him. <laughs> exactly. He would have exactly. been rolling in it into Paul. So, so we've now <laughs> gone through a couple of the guys that were with the team last year. Um, Ray John Tucker, I still don't get it. Um, what do they see in him? I'm not saying there's nothing there. We just I haven't seen him enough to know what is it about them that they like so much. I mean, he's an athletic guy. He's he's kind of versatile. Um, you know, he's a pretty good defender. On you know, on that level, you know, I, I think that right now they're just trying to figure out what they have in him. You know, I mean, 
you know, Tuck is a guy who's extremely athletic. I mean, extremely. And, you know, when he was in college, he was a dude who shot, I believe it was uh, 44% um, on three. Um, I could be a little off, but I know it was over 41, right, on three, and he attempted like six attempts a game. So he shot the ball a lot. So when you look at him, you know, he's one of those quintessential, you know, let's give him a try. He can develop into becoming, you know, an, um, a solid 3 and D guy from the bench. And he's not making a lot of money. He's not going to demand a lot of money on, on, the, on the market as far as a contract. So I think that's one of those things to look at it. And I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I was joking with him one day, um, and I was saying, man, I'm like, because he was a high school football player. And I said, man, you know, people telling me, you look like a linebacker. And he says, nah, not a linebacker, maybe a safety. I'm saying, nah, bro, <laughs> at six foot four, you're a straight up linebacker. I mean, this dude is put together. I mean, he looks like a bona fide football player out there. You know, he could be an all pro tight end the way he looks, but he's a huge. So, but he's athletic, and and I think you know you got to take a chance and take a look at him, see what you could get. I'm going to ask you about the other two-way player, Aaron Henry. What's the team seeing out of him, and and what have you seen, and what do they expect out of him? You know, they like him. I think right now he's trying to find his niche to see what he can do. You know, like, let's face it, you know, you come to a a rookie summer league team, and typically the rookie guys are the the showcase. On this squad, he's not even – I mean, he started the last game, but for the most part, they're like, you know, coming off the bench, fulfilling the role. So I think he has to find his niche. Now, he he's also a guy that, you know, late in the second round, there were certain teams who contacted his agent and said, hey, we really want to take a, a, a stab at him. We're going to draft him. And they were encouraged not to because he had a two-way deal already set up with the Sixers once the Sixers didn't draft him. So, you know, the Sixers are high on him. You know, he's a guy who had a quad injury and he wasn't able – um, to compete at the combine, but then he came back and did something like nine workouts in 12 days. So it's one of those things he probably would have been a draft pick if he would have participated in the combine early second round, um, maybe mid-second round, but he chose not to, and the Sixers are extremely high on him right right about now. All right, well, the only thing that matters to my co-host is that the next guy makes the team and has an impact quickly because he wants to be able to buy a jersey that has Springer no, no, on the a, back. A, a jersey. I can't rock yeah. jerseys. So, so, <laughs> they don't look good on me. So so what did you see out of Jaden Springer, and, and what do you think his role could be by midseason this season? And no, we're not this young uh, cousin. <laughs> uh, but um, the thing about Jaden is he's extremely young. Let's just put that there. And and more so like when we talked about uh, uh, Henry, uh, the kid from Michigan State, I, I think that Springer um, is filling the blunt of that more so as well. Like, you know, he's typically the first-round pick. And the first round, but we talk about showcasing rookies, you definitely showcase the first-round pick. Well, this isn't happening here. Like, here's a guy who's listed as a combo guard, but he was a point guard, but he was listed as a combo guard. Well, so he no longer has the ball in his hands. You have him playing small forward, being uh, stationed in the corner. 
So he's basically looking around and seeing what's going on. Like, you know, he's not that heavily involved in the offense at all. Now, the one thing I will say is that he showed me some glimpses. Like, there was a time when there was an errant pass that B-Ball Paul threw to him. He retrieves the ball. He does a spin move on it on the guy at the uh, three-point line. He drives the lane, goes up and under the basket, and the ball kisses off the gas, and he scores a bucket. Then there was another time where he did, you know, um, a, he did like a dribble move, did a step back into a three. You know, so he showed some glimpses. Even last night he hit, um, well, not last night, but, you know, even earlier this week he hit a three. So, you know, he shows glimpses, but at the same time when you look at him, you can tell the way that he's being utilized that he's probably going to spend a lot of time in the G League this summer, you know, just because, you know, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for him. He's a, a pretty good defender. I mean, he gets a lot of steals. He plays well. But when you look at him, you can't say that he's above Maxi, Isaiah Joe, um, uh, uh, Matisse Seibel, um, Shake Milton. So he's a guy who's 18 years old, um, who has an upside. But right about now, I, I feel like he's going to be better suited for the G League than actually getting minutes on the um, Sixers this year. So Jason's going to need to buy a blue coat to Springer jersey? Yeah, he can buy a blue coat jersey, but I'll also get a Sixer one because, I mean, he seems like he's going to be a part of the future. So it's not like – you're going to rock something and he's going to be traded, you know, come October. <laughs> that's right, Jeff. He's going to be here longer than I'll be on any team. That's for sure. Uh, wanted to ask you a couple other players, Isaiah Joe, who had a slight injury in the game the other night on uh, Frank Mason jr. Before I get to the one that I'm curious about in dash and Knicks. So what are you seeing out of Isaiah and Frank Mason? You know, I, I really like Isaiah. I mean, you know, Isaiah Joe, you know, is a guy who, he bulked up. He added some weight. Um, he's like 175. He was 160 something when he first got drafted. I didn't know he was that small. You know the thing about Isaiah. You know we knew that he could shoot the ball, right? You know that he could shoot. Um, but but it was one of those other things that you're saying. What else does he bring? And then like last year, he showed us that he could defend, right? And when he got in the game with the Sixers this year in in uh, summer league this summer, he's showing that he can create for himself. He can create for others. You know, before, you know, he got injured, um, heading into that game, you know, he was second in the league and made three-pointers in the summer league at 4.7 per game. So he's, you know, a good a good, a good, shooter, but he was also slashing to the ball, I mean, slashing to the basket. He was doing a lot of other things. So he, to also, me, Keith, Keith, he seemed to be running the pick and roll well with Paul Reed, which obviously on this team becomes important with anybody that plays with Joel. Exactly, and so you know he's showing us that he's a well, a more well-rounded basketball player. And Mason, you know, I, I don't know if if there's a spot for him on a Sixers team. Like I could see him probably getting a training camp invite, and then you know they give him one of those Exhibit Ten contracts where you know if you stay with the G League team, you'll get a bonus. But I just don't see him. When I look at him, you have to compare him to. You know, like uh, Shake Milton, is he better than Shake? No. You know, is he better than um, Maxie? No. You know, uh, Springer's the future, so to speak. You know, I, I don't really see a spot for him in regards to being on the uh, on the Sixers roster. 
So I can see him, if he doesn't have any other offers, that maybe he's someone that they can have for the G League team. I just don't see it um, right now for him. I wasn't familiar with Dash and Knicks before the summer league. I didn't realize, I didn't really follow the Ignite team last year for the G League. He's obviously a very raw young Wait, you didn't, wa- there's a sporting event you didn't watch? I watched, but I didn't realize, you know, his role in that he, the players that they <laughs> okay. had on the summer Okay, league. just to clarify, you were staring at the television. <laughs> of course I was, Jeff. You know this. Heath, Jeff has a problem with the fact that I'm a total loser and will watch overtime summer league while watching fourth quarter of Thursday night football. So in the preseason, by the way. So he has an issue with that. But so Dash and Knicks is a raw, very raw point guard. Is that somebody that they can stash in, with the Bluecoats and try to develop him? It could be. I mean, could be. You know, um, you know, he's someone like you said who has an upside. But you know, yeah, I, I can see that happen. He could be someone. But you know, he's also young. Like you know, when when he got in, there were certain times where I saw him, and sometimes he looked good. Other times, you could tell he was young. You know, what I mean, making young mistakes. But um, yeah, I mean, that could be an option. I mean, you know, it, again, he's one of these guys where. I thought maybe just because he played with that team that he would probably get more more minutes, you know, be more heavily involved in the offense and in the scheme. But then you look at it again, like, you know, he's also a guy that you don't want to put out there to showcase for other teams a lot, right? So you, you give him a certain amount of minutes. But, yeah, he, you know, he, he, he could be a candidate for that, a, a guy who could go to the G League. But he's so young, I also think that he's going to get – some other teams have probably come after him as well. All right, let's talk for a minute about the old dudes. So we got Danny Green that re-signs, but most important, you have Andre Jumman signing and Dwight Howard leaving. What does that do for the Sixers? And are Andre Drummond and Ben and uh, Joel Embiid going to go out for a meal together? They're the new Bobby and Toby, Jeff. Didn't you know? Yeah, yeah, they're gonna have they're gonna have uh, the next Michelob Ultra commercial. That's what they're <laughs> going to do. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's weird because you know when you talk to Drummond about the rivalry, talking about the rivalry he had with Joel, where Joel used to always trash talk him and uh, you know do all this other stuff to him. He says, "Well, it's no biggie. Like, you know, it wasn't as it wasn't like what people thought." And I kind of figured that too. Like, I always thought it was. Like Ali Frazier, where you hear the stories about how you know Muhammad Ali and, and and Joe Frazier would hop in the car in Philadelphia and have a great old time driving up there, and as soon as they got to New York to where the promotion was, Ali would jump out the car and just start berating them. And and Frazier was always like, huh, huh, we just rode up here together. What are you doing? And then that's how it became a little rivalry, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, you would have you thought know. he would have caught on at some point. Yeah, you would have thought, and and I and I and I kind of think that, um, I kind of think that that's initially how it happened because I remember when, when first time I was in Detroit, and I spoke to a, a reporter from Detroit, um, about the rivalry. I should say the first time I was in Detroit once they had this rivalry, right? And the reporter was like, Andre said they're friends, and you later find out that you know these guys were more cordial than what people thought. And I in the same thing with other centers that Embiid used to attack, and I felt like like Ali did, Embiid was great with promotions, and he would like let's bring the center position back, and that was a way that he would go after people. 
Now, in regards to him being a backup center for Embiid, I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think that, you know, it's more of a sign that, you know, he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't have the offers that he expected, and this was the best offer that he had. And when you look at a guy like Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard is, what, in his mid-30s. Um, this guy is in his 20s, and it's going to be one of those things where he's younger than him. You know, he can do certain things that Dwight can't at this particular time. And I felt like, you know, there were certain times when, you know, I love Dwight, you know, a great player, a future Hall of Famer. But it was sometimes where it was all about Dwight, you know, and, you know, he would pick up uh, crazy technicals and, and things like that. I mean, we all know that Joel Embiid is not going to be able to play all 82 games. He'll probably miss 20. So when you have a guy like Andre Drummond for 20 games who could come in and start, I think that's beneficial. Because as as good as Dwight Howard was, it came to a point when Embiid didn't start. Dwight couldn't start because of him and Simmons couldn't really mesh well together on the court as far as two non-shooters. I'm not saying Drummond's a better shooter, but you would the hope is that Drummond would at least be able to start when Embiid doesn't. And let's face it, he was an all-star as recent as three seasons ago. So um, I, I, I like that pickup yeah, for I, what they I, had I know, to give up. I, I, know, I know he's younger, but what I'm struggling with is does he have enough in the tank to really contribute because I can't figure out what the Lakers were doing that they were DNPing him in the playoffs. Well, it didn't really work well. It didn't work well with him and him. Like I never thought him going to the Lakers was a good fit, right? Because his agent is his former is, agent's the general manager. Yeah, of course. Part of that fit. Yeah, yeah, but it was a hard. But it was like you. So you have Andre Drummond who's a big, who basically needs the ball, right? He's like, he's one of these bigs who he's not quite like a rim runner, so to speak, going back and forth, shot blocking. Now, he does shot, you know, he, he does shoot blocks, but he's not like the role-playing center who can get, uh, who's extremely athletic, who can hit some threes and do all this other stuff. Nah, you had to feature him, Right. You have to feature him. That's the reason why him and Embiid had such a rivalry, because they were both featured. So you put him on a team where you also uh, the all you got um, uh, all stars in the in, in the center and excuse me the power forward and the small forward and LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It's not going to work out because he's not that type of you know big who's like get out of the way and do this and do that. You're losing some effectiveness. So Keith, I, I think that. Hmm? Sorry, Keith, Keith. You mentioned shooting threes out in California. This is my least favorite time of year because I got Ben Simmons shooting threes out in California on my video timeline. How long are we going to have to put up with this before something is done? Uh, and, until something is done. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how long you have to look up and put up for it. I mean, it's that time of year again, man. Like you know, I tweeted out today. Hey, it's that time of year for me to reintroduce myself to my family, right, and friends. It's that time of year for you to put up with these videos. <laughs> it's Groundhog Day, Keith. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Right. I mean, you have he to made put up with two. that. You know, you guys, you, you just don't, you're not focusing on the positive. He made two. Yeah, and he banked one of them that was the shot from the Timberwolves guard that forced overtime in Summer League the other day. It's not what he was hoping to do. 
Keith, don't let Jeff try and be an apologist for here. I have the most important question, more important than Ben Simmons, before we let you go. Now that you're okay. getting all this family time, will you be binge-watching Hard Knocks Dallas Cowboys? Because we know how big a fan you are. Nah, I won't. But let me tell you what I'm binge-watching. Now, this might sound crazy to you. I have two shows that I love, right? And I taped it. So I watched the two episodes this morning when I got up that I missed. So... It's, it's, it's crazy. One is called Love After Lockup. So, like, I watch it, and I'm cracking up because some of these people are like, dude, I know you're not falling for that. No, no, please don't tell me you're going to fall for that. And they do. And then there used to be, and I used to, like, binge watch, like, Naked and Afraid. I don't know, it's like where people go, they just, like, they, you know, it, it's, it's not, like, sexual or nothing like that. But what they do is they go into, like, a deserted area or out in the wilderness, right? And they'll basically, like, be out there for 21 days with no clothes, and they have to fend for themselves as far as, like, you know, killing animals to eat. And, and it's like a survival um, a thing. So, Jeff like, you look at it, and it's like, I check those things out. I know I'm weird, right? Yeah, but this Jeff is what my enjoyment is. After those huh? questions, Keith, uh, I don't think that's the direction that Jeff thought you were going to take that answer at all. Nah, <laughs> like, now here's He's, the thing. Like, the, here's the thing. Like, the Cowboys is going to be entertaining to watch it just because you know jerry jones is going to be over the top and they're going to have all these different storylines but to me like it would be i mean it would have been better if they would have had like the giants on there maybe or probably like the eagles so we could laugh at them but you know other than that it's like no i'm not watching it but Jeff is still trying to analyze your, your answer. I see him on video kind of stroking his beard, trying to figure yeah, out. I'm just stunned. <laughs> like, I, I never even heard of these shows. I, what, what, what station are they on? How old am I? Uh, I think they, one comes on the History Channel. Oh, no, no, Discovery. Uh, Negative and Afraid. The other one, I don't know, dude. Like, what all, I forget. But it's, and I shouldn't say forget. You know how, like, you're up late at night and you see something, you're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. So then you just like hit the like the record on your thing and it just keeps popping up. So each time it comes up, the episode I have, it comes on like at nine o'clock on Friday. And I just like, I don't know, man, it's so many channels now. But you know what it is? It's like one of those things you're home and you wait. I wake up extremely early, right? So it's like I'll turn on the TV and next thing you know, like I'll look and I'll see like what's on, like what's trending right now. And I'll click on it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Did this guy just buy her like three pairs of Jordan, Jordans and a watch? And then like, you know, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, it's like there's certain people apparently that's what they're into. They they write letters to people and they become pen pals and then they propose to them, you know? So, but it's funny because it's like it's you know, it's like reality. It it's it's like bad TV, you know what I mean? It's just bad TV, but it's funny. We're going for you to write a column about it. We're going to have to make this a regular segment, Keith's TV picks or something like that. We're definitely going to have to do more with you with this. <laughs> Keith, thanks so much for giving us time. Always go hang out with your family a little bit. Enjoy not being in Vegas. And I look forward to following you at Pompeii on Sixers at Locked on Sixers podcast in the Inquirer and wherever else you can find Keith Pompeii. All right. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. You know, it's always great to talk to Greg Dobbs. You can talk finances. You can talk baseball. Then you have Keith on. You talk summer league baseball basketball and what else what to binge watch the rest of the summer 
I feel like you're going to be judging him a lot now after what you heard him talk about. No we'll get TV Rex and financial Rex next week more. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.